0: This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm and especially our live programs, check out The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attraction, body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, breakups, networking, and relationship management. A lot of stuff that's more important than many people think. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. There's two dots in there. Or give us a call here in the office, 888 You can even email me, Jordan, at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with my friend Oren Claff, author of Pitch Anything. He's a super high-stakes salesman, among other things. You should listen to this, salesman or not, because we're talking about persuasion at the highest level. Now, people buy you, but they don't buy the crap you have in common. They buy your presentation. We're gonna talk about how the brain works when it makes decisions to buy or not to buy. This is quote-unquote game for salesmen. So don't listen to this one with kids in the car because we got colorful with the language. It's a little bit advanced, so if you don't get it, maybe put it on the shelf and listen to it in a couple of months or even a couple of years. And if you feel like you've got a little bit of a grasp on it, you might wanna listen to it again because this does apply whether or not you sell anything because maybe you just sell your time as an employee of a corporation. So enjoy this one with Oren Klaff. So tell us exactly what you do because I know you help people sell companies, but for a lot of people, they go, eh, I don't need to know anything about that. And other people say, why would I need help selling a company?
1: Yeah, well, you probably wouldn't need help selling a company. I mean, if you work at UPS, you would say, I don't want to listen to this conversation between these two big dummies. Yeah. We're going to sell a company. I work for UPS. I think the issue is the things you learn when you raise money or sell a company is like the most extreme elements of human behavior in business because you walk into a room and the opposing side, the buyer, for example, walks into a room and it's not a matter if they're going to buy a copier from you or do a contract or you know a service contract these are 30 50 100 200 million dollar decisions and they're made very seriously very severely and buyers don't have time to waste so you go in and you make your pitch at, on a 50 75 100 million dollar decision and they know within 8 9 10 minutes 20 minutes at the most, if they are interested in moving forward, or they want to get out. They'll just say things like, I'm out, call me a cab. So it's very high stakes environments in which you know very quickly what the decision is. There's very few buyers that you can reach out to, right? So as opposed to maybe selling a copier, you might have and I don't want to pick on copier salesmen because I have (laughs) tremendous respect for them, right? But you might have, you know, 15,000 businesses in your local area that would be prospects. When we go to sell a company, for example, we're doing one now, you know, for a hundred million dollars, right? There might be seven prospects. So that presentation is critical. What you do every minute from the time the door opens, from the time you get on the phone, every word that comes out of your mouth has to have an impact and drive them towards some Uh, psychology and some decision. Otherwise, these meetings end very quickly and dramatically. So being it's sort of like war, uh, you know, the ultimate fighter octagon, being in these situations where you're trying to get a $100 million from someone teaches you a lot about the human psychology of decision making, of sales, how buyers behave in extreme circumstances. And all of this trickles down to whether you're selling a birthday cake, a you know copier uh service agreement, uh, you know how you're selling a program on a website it's the most extreme exposure of human psychology
0: that makes a lot of sense because even when you're buying something relatively expensive, like a car or a house, a lot of times you're dealing with an unsophisticated buyer, a professional salesman. It's a commodity sometimes depending on the type of property that you're selling or buying. And so they'll do things like there's common sort of misconceptions that they can run at you and things like that. But when you're talking about selling something for $100 million, you're talking to somebody who's been sharp enough to put themselves in charge of $100 million. And so they don't do that by going, oh, I feel a lot of pressure and I'm hungry and I have to pee. I'm just going to say yes on the next offer. Their entire existence is predicated upon making sure that they're not the guy who's going to buckle under those circumstances.
1: Yeah, but now I think, Jordan, you're uncovering the fundamental flaw in how sales have been taught, you know, over the last 20 years in USA America, right, which is walk in, get rapport, have the guy like you, hey, you go skiing uh, at Snowbird, I go snowboarding at Snowbird, oh, your sister uh, went to Northwestern, my sister went to Northwestern, oh, you fish Marlin in, uh, in Florida in the summers, my family does that, right, sort of everybody seeks out these areas of coincidental like-mindedness to leverage into rapport. See, we're
0: similar. Right, works great when you're selling a Ford Fusion.
1: Colossal fucking waste of time. Nobody is gonna hand over a serious amount of money, a contract. And in today's world, people take everything seriously because your sister and their sister went to school in the same state, right? (laughs) Right, right. So, rapport is not useless. What it's good for is if you do a bad job, you don't do the pitch well, you don't do a great sales presentation, you don't have the value proposition, right? You don't have a good narrative arc. It's not short, sweet, direct, and in the way that buyers buy, right? Then you need rapport because basically you've screwed up and you come back around and you say, hey, you know, uh, I need another chance. Let's talk about this a little bit more. I know the presentation wasn't directly what you were expecting, you know, we've rethought it and wanna come in and take another crack at it. If you have an amazing relationship, then, then you can, you know, ask for that favor and rapport is good for that. In that sense, rapport is good. The problem is it uses up a colossal amount of time.
0: Sure, oh yeah.
1: In which you can just be giving an awesome presentation and convincing the buyer to want what you have, right? you know, nobody's going to give you money until they want what you have. And then they've done a little bit of due diligence or they, they know the facts about it have compared it to other options. And, and then they're willing to take money from their account and put it in your account and rapport in today's world just doesn't have a lot of impact in that process.
0: That makes a lot of sense. You know, of course it sort of flies in the face, although I don't think that it can't be reconciled with, we always talk about people buy you, right? Because if you're buying something that's a commodity, like a car, in a lot of ways, which aren't directly commodities, I get that, but they're very fungible. I can go to Orin Claff Ford and buy a Ford Fusion, or I can go to Jordan Harbinger Ford and buy a Ford Fusion, and it basically, it's gonna be the same product, and largely the same service, and probably somewhere around the same price. So I just pick the guy that does a better job maybe presenting it, but yeah, you're right, I don't pick the guy because he likes racquetball and my dad plays racquetball. That is a zero percent factor.
1: So I think that is correct. People buy you. What I see is in larger stakes sales, they buy your credibility and the value proposition, right? So rather than spending any time on explaining to people who I am, what I do, what I've done, what I'm capable of, why you should like me, my track record, I present to them in a way that they go, Holy hell, right? That was performance art. We wish we could present our own sales proposition, our own products, our own services, our own value proposition in that way. I'm in the hands of a professional. This guy knows what he's doing from the moment he walks in the room to the second he says, so, you know, let's talk about getting a contract signed, right? And so they learn about you and how to buy you. Through the course of the presentation you give about your product, your ability to deliver a magnificent narrative arc, a beautiful story about your product, your service, your company, your value proposition, right, signals to them everything they need to know about you. And in fact, the first thing I do with everybody coming in, uh, you know, that I help change your sales presentation is say, you don't introduce yourself and your team until the end they don't know anything about what you have i compare it to uh you know you sit down to watch a movie right the movie opens up there's a guy at a desk he gets shot he falls over on the floor and he gets dragged off stage and you're yawning you're like it's not dramatic to me i don't know who that fucker was right Care, right you don't care until somebody cares about the characters they're not going to believe the things you say about them
0: So what are you saying? You say you don't introduce yourself first or you do introduce yourself first? No,
1: I I don't do much introduction in terms of...
0: Resume crap, right?
1: I mean, everybody knows who I am at this point. you know. (laughs) But um, for my teams, uh, so they'll waste three or four minutes. Hey, I'm John Smith. I was the lead researcher at Google for such and such platform in the cloud. Um, I went on from there to do a startup that was acquired by Hewlett-Packard. This is my lead technologist. He was also with me at Google and then he went on to... None of this matters because we don't know what the stakes are. We don't know what the big idea is. And I think that's the thing is you come in, the ability to deliver a big idea is a much appreciated and respected executive skill set. Most people come in and start with a team and really small ideas, features, and benefits. Right? When you come in and say, good to meet you, does anybody need fluids in or out? Because we're going to kick this thing off. Here's the agenda. You sit down. We're gonna blow you back in your chairs, knock your eyeballs back in your uh, eye sockets, and and we're gonna start it like this.
0: You come in and you just like you just take a baseball bat to their desk, basically.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean <laughs> it's the Christopher Walken presentation, right? Right, right. Or you know, it's Chris Walken meets Al Pacino kicks off his sales presentation, right? Um, so you can do that if. You sell in the way that buyers like to buy.
0: Okay. And that's awesome, right? Is, so, is that different for each buyer?
1: No. So, here's the thing you know, the three step sales method, you know, by Brian Tracy, nine step sales method by Tony Robbins, 15 step method by Tom Hopkins. These number of steps and these methods don't mean anything because it's sellers deciding how they want to sell right you cannot break the way that buyers buy right you can't impose a method on them that they've never heard of not familiar with that's why sales methods sketch out buyers right cuz you're imposing a method on them that they don't know anything about aren't familiar with don't do and so that's why at the end of most presentations the buyers go thank you very much we really appreciate you coming in to show us this stuff we're definitely going to buy this you know in the next 30 to 90 days um, if you can just send us all the information you know that you have, we're gonna uh, discuss this internally with our committee, and if we have any other additional questions, we'll call you. When you hear that, they want to leave, yeah. right? because you're trying to impose your will on them, and they don't feel like they have free determinism on process, and that's that's a rejection of your process. You think about how buyers buy, very simple, right? Five steps. <laughs>
0: Five steps that are not, not to be confused with the other people's steps.
1: Well, yes, yeah, not sales <laughs> steps. This is how buyers buy. Like, so
0: this is like how your brain works then. This
1: is how the brain works, right? So right, you get form okay. introduced or, hey, Jordan, right? It's Orin. We have this amazing copier that makes espressos, uh, packages up your FedEx, orders books that you're going to like before you even know you like them, and it also copies and uses, and the cost per copy is one millionth of a cent, and we give you free paper. And I was introduced to you by my good friend Tony Robbins, and he thought we should talk about this. Do you have five minutes? I think I could really help you guys out. Cold approach, right? right? So now we begin a process in how buyers buy, and they go, "Huh, sounds interesting." I, you know, I respect Tony, and goddamn it, I could use a copier that does better than the one we have. Let's talk. Okay. So step one complete. We did a cold approach or a warm approach, and we got some kind of uh, intro. Right. So step two is a phone call, right? Hey, got your email. Sounds good. Tell me a little bit more about it. Well, Jordan, you know, the things I said in my email, you know, are true. It makes espresso. It does. It makes its own paper and it orders you books that you want to read and then prints those books for you and then helps you read it. Makes you smarter, better looking, stronger, tanner. Your kids will be more attractive and your future wife is guaranteed through our copier system to be a 10.
0: Nice. Sounds great. Prince kittens Uh, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it it can raise your children. uh, Hey, Oren, you just said it. Sounds great. Send me something. Okay? So what you said, the words you said over the phone, on Skype, uh, sound good. Send me something. So now we got to send something that explains, that builds the credibility on the description we gave. Following that. You know, they look at it and they decide if it's, they're going to look at other stuff on the internet and they're going to go, hey, that sounds interesting. Um, Looks interesting. And you're going to say, so I'm going to say, hey, Jordan, let's meet. Okay, and come down your office 10 o'clock on Tuesday, maybe two o'clock on Thursday. I'm super busy, but I'll make the time. Let's meet and go over this in person. Sounds good, right? Then you go to the meeting and you really have this do or die, sink or swim presentation. And at the end of that presentation, you're going to say, you know, what I would say is, so, Jordan, what I can tell you is these copiers are amazing. Unfortunately, we don't have many of them. Right. You know, I get 10 uh, every three months. And so I have to be really choosy who, you know, I give these out to. And if you said, hey, Orin, I'll take it right now. Here's a check. I would give the check back to you. Right. Because I don't know enough about you as a customer. Have you bought copiers before? Do you honor your three year service agreement? Do You resupply? Do You take care of them. Because I'll eventually take this back, you know, after three years and get you a new one. You take care of your equipment. Who are you? How do you do business? Why would I like you, right? And so that's the first time that we really get any control over the sales process, right? That's Is, interesting.
0: Yeah, it's important because I don't know this consciously, but that's how I have to sell AOC programs. Even though it's not like a false urgency or a false scarcity, I. You know, when I say, oh, we're sold out five months in advance, you get these actual copier salesmen who are like, yeah, yeah, sure you are. And they call back in three months and they're like, I want the January program. And I'm like, dude, I, I told you that was almost sold out three months ago. And then they're like, I didn't realize that it actually was. I thought that was like a thing that you were doing. And I'm like, no, I, I literally can't help you. And also, and then people are, they'll be jerks and they're like, you know, you need the money. And I'm like, no, I, I don't like you. I don't want you here. You're going to be in my living room. I don't want you here. You know, and they're like, they're shocked that it's not bullshit.
1: Nearly my entire book is geared around this concept of reframing or shifting who's important in the sales relationship. So, if you think about it, most salespeople believe that the buyer, because he has the money, his ability to sign a contract, he has the ability to um, complete the sale, is the most significant party in you know, is the king of the sales transaction. Right. So we perform in order to get the king to say, Yes, I'll give you money, right? To touch you with the scepter. And so we juggle and we stand in our hands and we we juggle with our feet and we, you know, do hula hoops and all the and it's even called, right, a dog and pony show. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Right. So we do all those things as salespeople to convince the buyer to give us the prize of his money.
0: Right. And it's like guys trying to date really attractive women, and the girls are in control the whole time, they know they're in control the whole time, and they just kind of string it along, string it along, string it along, and then at the end, if they're really not interested in the guy, and they're kind of like a, especially like the gold digger type chicks that you meet in LA, I live in San Francisco now and I avoid that, but it's almost like an unconscious thing and they're very good at it, and then the guys are super pissed, because they're like, what the hell, I invested like a month into this girl, and and she just moved on, because of unlimited supply.
1: Right. That's right. So we've got to change the buyer's understanding of who's important in the relationship. There's very, very simple ways to do this. I mean, you can leave this podcast and go do this on your next call meeting and just start off the call like this and say, Hey, Jordan, I'm glad I could make some time for you today. We're super busy and jammed up. And if it's okay with you, uh, I've got about half an hour, but after that, I have to bounce.
0: Yeah, it. you know, I love that because it does sort of change the script. What's funny, because I feel like I do that because I have to, I guess it probably helps if you really are that busy and you're not just lying about it because I feel like that sort of naturally come as a result of not having enough hours in the day because of the people that call, for example, and want to take the program. I actually only have a short amount of time, generally speaking, but you gotta start somewhere, right?
1: So there's, there's a couple of things going on here that's very powerful just in that one simple statement. When salespeople come to sell me something, if I let them stay for two hours, they'll stay for two hours.
0: Of course, yeah. I let them
1: stay for three hours because they believe the more they talk, the more attention that I'm paying to them, right, and the more convincing they become. In itself introduces scarcity. If a salesman comes to me and he says, hey, if it's okay with you. I'd like to get started right away without all the, you know, I'm sure you're a wonderful snowboarder. I'm sure you're a Chargers fan. Wasn't a great game this weekend. Maybe at a different time, I got to skip past all that and get this presentation going. I only have about half an hour today. Then I got to take myself out of here. And to me, that introduces scarcity. All of a sudden, I become nervous, right? Instead of going, "Oh my God, you know, how can I get this sales guy out of here?" I, as the buyer, become nervous that scarcity has been put on me. So now, if that copier salesman then establishes himself as an expert and then introduces to me the idea that the world is changing in a way that will affect me, and he knows how that change is gonna happen. And I believe I only have a short time with him, then I'm paying an exotic amount of attention to him. So if I believe that the business world is changing in a way that affects me, he's an expert in that and I only have half an hour with him before he bounces out, I turn off my iPhone, I tell my project manager to hold my calls, and I pay attention to everything he says and maybe even write the things he says down. I never do that stuff. I'm looking at Broncos and motorcycles and Defenders while guys are you know, giving me their pitch, but all of a sudden they shift into, I'll give you a good example, uh, maybe this isn't fair to Dropbox, right? Uh, but if somebody was selling us sort of bandwidth and um, storage services and they said it's not really that publicized but in our area 25 businesses lost their last 60 days of data through dropbox it's an awesome personal service but it doesn't have enterprise uh, redundancy
0: okay just making sure because i'm in san francisco i don't want to go to lunch and drop that bomb
1: no, you don't, no, and nobody should, but look how you just bit on that, right? Because that's yeah. strange.
0: It's scary, because I have a lot of stuff in there.
1: Yeah, I scared the shit out of you.
0: Yeah. All right, back to the show.
1: I worked as a patent researcher for a firm called BTG, British Technology Group. Uh, they held 3,500 patents, the largest holder of technology patents in the world, and I just Have become a patent troll, and I follow the patent issuances every single day. I know what Apple is gonna be doing three years out from the patents that they issue. Might be, you might call it a hobby, I call it a vocation, it's just something that I do, but I'm probably, you know, within a thousand miles of here, the one person you're gonna meet who knows what Apple patents look like. So now I'm an expert. Sure. You know, I've given a trend trajectory that affects you, that is high stakes, and now I'm limiting my time. What I can tell you is that will force the buyer into paying attention to you. And the only way that you're gonna sell anything is if somebody's paying attention to you. I mean, if there's one thing to tattoo on your arm, it's
0: this, attention equals convincing power. There's a lot of people who are like, should I turn this off, this is about sales. The overlap in relationships, dating, job stuff is obvious to many people, but if it's not, then keep listening, especially but instead of coming in and saying things like, hey, I just need a little bit of your time, please give it to me, this might be important for you later on, you're saying, I'm a very uniquely qualified consultant, you can't find my expertise elsewhere, my time is very limited, but hey, you are pretty lucky that I happen to be sitting next to you on this proverbial airplane right now and you've got 30 minutes of my time, we should probably talk about this because I know stuff about your industry that literally no one else knows, we'll give you a competitive advantage if we have the right type of conversation. So what do you say? And you start talking about hard drives and cloud storage.
1: Right, so whatever the change is, I think about it this way. If you want control over a sales presentation or a business meeting, right, the way to get that control is you introduce trend lines about the future that are non-obvious.
0: Right, it builds credibility. If you start pointing out something that I have thought of in the back of my head, or can see being very, very realistic and nobody else should know that stuff, you automatically have credibility in my head.
1: And we can we can tie this back to relationships and everyday, you know, business meetings. So here's an example. I mean, this stuff is important because it works. We got a phone call from a large ad agency that was trying to win Volkswagen. They went in, gave the pitch, did a bunch of this stuff, you know, that we're talking about incorrectly. They lost the account. They called us up and they said, oh, woe was me. We never want to have that happen again. And I said, well, let's try and fix it. And they go, now we lost the account. When we try and get the next big one, we want to do it right. Go, let me take a crack at it. So we went in there and went back in with new information, right? A trend line, got everybody back on the hook, um, got aggressive, put tension on people, let them know the world is changing in high stakes. We have a limited amount of time. To, to spend with them. And then that we, in this case, the ad agency is an expert in some of the advancing changes in the way you promote cars, you know, using technology. Boom, they came back in. 45 days later, they announced they won the account with Volkswagen. sort of a hundred million dollar deal. So this stuff works at a big level. Now we can talk about how to take it down to sort of the day-to-day interactions. And I guess... Where this is all heading is if you wanted to say, well, what's really happening here, right? At a fundamental level, you've got to have people's attention on you if you want to convince them of information, you know, that you have, right? So your information is our insurance is better. Our, our service is better. Our product is better. I should get a raise. I should get a better job. I should get a job with your company, right? You've got some information that you want to convince somebody of. In order to convince them, they have to pay attention to you. Jordan, if you'll pay attention to me for three hours, right, I can force you to pay attention using, you know, the way they do terrorists, right? If you start dozing off, I blast anthrax, you know, in both your ears using giant speakers. I, I put parapolitic in your eyes so you can't blink, right, or take your attention off of me. And if you really start dozing off, I just shock you, right? If I can do that for three hours, force you to pay attention, I don't need any sales technique.
0: Well, I, luckily, you can't do that. No copier salesman is going gonna, is gonna to be able to do that, I hope.
1: Well, we have a black site where we sell like this, but it's really advanced stuff.
0: They ship you off to Syria, and then you're like, so let me tell you about this copier.
1: We have a boardroom in, uh, in Iraq where we really are effective at selling copiers. I mean, I wouldn't say you know, it's fully approved uh, sales methods, but it works. No, um, and it only takes three weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So, so in lieu of that, I think, you know, the span of human attention is somewhere between five and 20 minutes, depending on what you sell, what you're trying to convince people of, right? I understand if you're going in for a job interview, right? It's an hour long meeting, but that's different from the span of attention that somebody's going to give you, right? So they, you know, they may have seen 30 other candidates that look very similar to you. You're not novel in any way. You're low status right? You're not introducing anything new. You know, when I have to interview those kinds of situations, I'm gone in five minutes. Yeah, I'm there physically, but I'm thinking about Broncos, Defenders, motorcycles, Hawaii, and all manner of things in that direction, right? So the span of human attention is very limited. In order to control it, you have to do some of the things that we're talking about here, right? And so this is not a nightclub, right? So you can't hold people's attention by getting them drinks or telling a funny story, which that stuff is awesome, And I'm a big believer in it. The problem is this is an office in the middle of the day by the side of a freeway with fluorescent lights bearing down with some guy, you know, the dad from American Pie staring down his nose at you through some stale coffee and going, remind me what your name was again, motherfucker. Right, yeah. So that's a situation that we're faced with all the time and we need someone's attention. And when we have it, we have to take advantage of it. Where I was heading with this is in the more attention you want from somebody, the higher status you need to be. Right? Low status sure. people gain very little attention. So you, you know, you think about these psychology tests they do um where they insert um business people who are dressed like bums or dressed like um you know vagabonds or whatever. Nobody pays attention to them. They just kind of walk invisibly in and out of crowds. When they dress that exact same guy like a businessman uh in a bespoke suit they they tell him to start walking across a crosswalk, right? While it's still red, everybody follows him, right? High status people you trust. I put it this way. President Obama knocks on your door. The Secret Service kicks in. He says, Jordan, get out of your house. I'm going to sit down here, have some popcorn, watch a movie with your girlfriend. I'll call you when I'm done, right? And you go, okay, no problem. I'm out, right? Highest status person in the world, President of the United States, tells you to do something. You say, I'm jumping and how high. So the guy who's a heater repairman, I'm going to get myself in trouble here.
0: Yeah, there's no safe occupation on this show. I've once made a joke about Amish people, and I got an email from an Amish guy who was on his like little break that you get when you're like 19 years old or whatever, from um, and he's like, I listened to this on this MP3 player I bought, and I was like, okay, we're not safe anywhere. We can't say anything about anybody. There's one of each. Let's yeah, one of each,
1: you know, um, my uh, my book hit number 32 on Amazon uh, a couple weeks ago. I was actually in Montenegro the day it happened. Oh, that's random. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, just it hit a wind, um, number 32 on all of Amazon. And so we put out a little tweet or email or whatever that said, hey, you know, the that book is higher. You know, my book right now is higher than Harry Potter, Twilight, or most versions of the Bible, right? Um, which, in fact, was true. And, you know, this is my imagine the dream of you, a business book that you wrote being higher than a book on vampires and werewolves having sex. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, all kinds of people said, how dare you invoke the name of the Bible and your book in the same sentence? Like, well, Jesus Christ, I you know, you're going to piss somebody off no matter what. So there's a there's a heater, an Amish heater repairman stripper. Right. <laughs> right down the street and he comes over to your house, knocks on your door, and says, Jordan, get the hell out and I'll introduce you to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sure.
1: So status, you know, when you look at through these kind of cartoon examples, is incredibly important. There's no difference between those scenarios other than status. So how people consider you and your position in the social pecking order is the largest driver of how long they'll pay attention to you. If you're high status, Pay a lot of attention, right? The boss of your company comes in and he says, hey, you know, we're going to have our value annual meeting. You go in the conference room and he goes on about stuff you don't care about. Pay a lot more attention to him than you should because he's the boss, can affect your future with you, you how much money you make and, you know, if you continue working in that company, what your options are, right? So high status people you pay attention to, but even the boss of the company affects your future. How much money you make, whether you get a $20,000, $200,000 bonus this year, right? Even him, you start burning out, right? Might be 10 minutes, might be 15 minutes. For sure, you can't listen to somebody talking about some topic that you're nominally interested in for more than 20 minutes, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, and this is why hundreds of them said, the TED sets are 18 minutes. Comedy sets are 20 minutes. And so if you're going into a meeting and you're planning to present to someone for more than 20 minutes, it's self-inflicted wound. It's suicide.
0: Crap, this show's like 45 minutes to an hour. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know what? People light me up all the time. Hey, you just gave a webinar. It's 45 minutes. Yeah, motherfucker, I'm not pitching you anything. I'm trying to help you get better in the way you do your business, right? This is a, it's not a booked sales presentation where I'm trying to convince you to take money from your account. If I want money from your account into mine, I'll go get it and I'll take it from you. Okay, don't worry about that. When that time comes, that will happen. But this is not that. This is me helping you out to cool your jets.
0: Right. Okay. Good. Okay.
1: So, so we've got to really raise our status in order to achieve one thing people paying attention to us. And then, once they're paying attention to us, you know, we can frame our ideas in the way that buyers are comfortable getting information. And now you're talking about, you know, a real comfortable sales process for buyers. When you give buyers, a comfortable sales process that they enjoy. They feel like this is performance art in a way. And they're, they're having fun. You're having fun. They're getting the information they, in a narrative form, the way they like to get information. Then at the end, you never have to say, so what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? Because those are all death notes. You can say, now you can see why I wanted to talk to you and why we're so busy. Uh, And you can go to that narrative I used before, which is we're very choosy about who we work with, right? And while I recognize, you know, you're attracted to what we have because it's one of the best and it's a great fit for you. And we certainly are attracted to doing business with you at this time. We're not far enough along and I don't know enough about you to throw my hands in the air and say, I love you, you know, let's become my customer. Let's do a deal. I need to learn more about you. And if at this time in context of what I just presented to you, um, this, you know, heater HVAC system that is also, you know, blessed by the Amish and our service contract. I need to know just a little bit more about you. And can you tell me about yourself? And so that's how you achieve the highest point of status in a sales presentation and allows you to put pressure on the buyer to tell, to pitch himself to you. It doesn't work, Without all these other things we talk about. If you just walk in the room and say, I don't know enough about you, Jordan. Why don't you tell me a little about yourself? See if I want to work with you. You say, get the fuck out of here. Who do you think you are?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very true.
1: Talk to me like that. I'm calling security.
0: Yeah, um, so so it helps when this is real. Because, again, like what I'm trying to avoid is like when somebody calls about programs, them going, ah, I see you're using the old Oren Clef stuff. Because I'm like, no, it's true. Like I don't have that much time. We only want cool people in the programs. We are sold out five months in advance. Like, I'm worried I'm cutting myself off at the knees here. But if it's true, then you can't really argue with it, especially what you're delivering is a great product.
1: So this is the key. As you can see, I don't do much motivation. If you want to get motivated, you don't come to Orn Klaff. Right, you, you buy some audio tapes from Tony Robbins. Exactly. What I do is teach, is help people get processed. You can do this if you're happy, you can do this if you're sad, you can do it if you're depressed. It doesn't matter. You know, for example, um you know we get engineers in Silicon Valley who've had trouble selling their deals and they're like, I'm just not that backslapping fraternity brother kind of guy that it seems like you need to be in order to sell a deal. You know, that works for those guys, but you can do this without you know, and, and obviously Jordan, you know this through you know, you could do this through a process. You don't have to be motivated. You don't have to be telling jokes. You don't have to, you know, impress people with your uh, athletic pursuits. You can just run this process, raising the stakes, letting them know you're an expert, establishing scarcity, getting their attention and pitching the deal or or selling the deal in the way that makes them comfortable. The time that they're most comfortable and your status is the highest, put tension on them. You can do that without joking around or being a frat boy. So so I don't do motivation, but the one thing that I do think is internally tuned is the understanding of how great what you have is. And this goes back to the comment you made initially. We like to show people that they're buying you. The combination of your product or service and you is the most valuable thing in the relationship between you and the buyer.
0: The most valuable thing is the relationship between us and the buyer.
1: The the most valuable thing in the relationship. So you've got the buyer who has money. right? Today, we tend to think, I need that money, right? I want that buyer to take this insurance, to take this birthday cake, to take this jet fighter, to take this laptop and give me his money. That's what I need. That's what I need. I want it. He has it. I don't. We need to change that to Mr. Buyer, Jordan, I have it and you don't. In order for you to get it, you have to give me money, right? Except right now, I'm not willing to take your money because I don't know enough about you. Those are the basics. So that's a switch of opinion. Sure, right. The way we switch that opinion, right, is we understand whatever it is you sell, you're an expert in it and your product is good. And if the buyer doesn't get it, then he will be diminished in some way. And until you believe that and understand that, and internalize it, then it's hard to create the scarcity and do these things that we're talking about. That's step one. I'm an expert in this. Almost nobody knows more about this than I do or some piece of it. And what I sell is a great value. Um, It's one of the best in the market. And for this buyer that I'm talking to, it's the best and I'm the best. Once you internalize that, then you're set up to create this kind of scarcity.
0: Excellent. So I would love to get some ways where people can apply this to things that even if they're not salesmen, because I think a lot of here's the thing, the way that I look at it is a lot of people think, well, I don't sell anything and I don't need to. So I don't need this.
1: So here is what my dream is for everyone in a business or social situation to be able to achieve that moment very early on where they say, no, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? So in the case of, uh, so you're not a salesman. Let's say you're an engineer, right, working for a company your your boss is in. And he says, hey, I need you to work. Sorry, you're going to have to work late tonight, you know, to finish up the code because I need to deliver it tomorrow morning to the boss. And that pops out of nowhere. And you you have a soccer game with your team in the semifinals, right? So now you're faced with the dilemma of, do I go to the semifinals with my you know, ultimate team, my soccer team, whatever it is, right? Or do I do what my boss says, which is extemporaneously, all of a sudden, stay late, totally unplanned for, right? And work late. So I would love for your status to be high enough that you can say, no, that makes no sense. I'm not going to do that.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's true. Because I think a lot of people think that by definition, you know, especially higher ups in their company, the boss, whatever is automatically blessed with more leverage because technically they have status, but I- Well, isn't he a buyer of your time? Exactly.
1: You sell your time and he buys it. Now, we're just into this whole same process again, which is, listen, my time is extremely valuable. I sell it to you, but I need a good buyer on the other end. Okay, I don't sell my time to bad buyers. Okay, I'll bend over backwards, I'll do anything. But what I will not allow you to do is ask me to be a bad business person and bad business people have low margin. So let's say I sell my time to, right? I sell my time to Rotoruber for $60,000 for 2000 hours. I work there. Now they come around and say, Hey, we need you to work an extra two hours a day because, you know, this unit is under financial pressure and we need to do better or whatever. Now I've got a lower margin, right? Because I'm getting the same amount of money for more time. So my margin went down. So you can say, no, that's, that turns me into a bad business person. Cause we agreed $60,000 for 2000 hours, right? Now you're changing the terms of the agreement. Listen, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense that now I have a low margin product, right? Cause every business, you know, wants a high margin. And if you're working more hours for the same or less pay, then you're getting a low margin. So you need to treat You know, everyone in business situations um, like a buyer of your time. So somebody comes to you and says, I need you to do more, take less money or work more hours or do travel or do something you don't want to do. They're doing that because you have low status.
0: Right. They want to decrease your margin.
1: Yeah. If they thought they were going to piss you off and you were going to leave and take expertise and know how and possibly people with you and they'd be stuck right? They would not come and put that pressure on you. They'd be afraid to do it. They take you out to dinner. They take you out to Fleming's and say, gosh, we don't want to hire somebody, but we do need a few more hours on, you know, route 66 with the truck. And I know it's your decision. You know, if it's a no, it's a no. I totally understand. We do need it. Like they'd be begging you, right? If you were an expert, if you had high status and when you spoke, you commanded people's attention. So to the degree people are putting pressure on you, it's because your status is low, right? Your status is low for lots of reasons that we talked about here. So that's the way I think about it for sort of if you're not in a sales situation, you're just, you know, in a job and you've got people who have to report to you and you have to report to people, your status is unbelievably critical to defending, you know, your time and your money. All right, back to the show. I mean, the, all these things don't have to be done in the same – look, I do it exactly this way. I come up against a billionaire. They tell me exactly who the big bear that craps in the woods is, and I correct them on it. I go into these situations that are very you know, tense and high stakes, but you don't have to do it in the same sort of aggressive tone. But you have to reframe what they think that they're excellent at as irrelevant. Out to me will be step one in, you know, raising your status over somebody who's lording over you. Uh, you could do that with a boss. You can do that with, um, you know, a peer. Uh, and you know, you could do it. You can do it nicely. But again, it ties back into knowing what the trend lines are about the future, because that's um, that's where the easiest way to get leverage in any situation. By leverage, I mean status, and status comes from expertise, and then people pay attention to you. And when people are paying attention to you, your status goes up. Use it while you have it.
0: Excellent. I think that makes a lot of sense because he really is sort of like, well, he's got more experience than me. He started to rationalize, and I I can see this happening a lot. He started to rationalize the fact that he has lower status than this other person um, and started to sort of accept his role in that. And one of the reasons that I think he hired me was to help him sift through these problems without then bouncing it back to his business partner slash de facto boss.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can really make this hit home. I mean, I already did this to you once or twice. I can do it again. And you know, offline we talked, that's very complimentary of your business and everything. But if I was trying to reframe you, I could get at it multiple different ways. Like, hey, I love these podcasts. They're great. Like, it's so cool how Apple came out with podcasts in like the late 90s. And my grandmother subscribes to a couple great podcasts and she really, you know, cooking shows and stuff like that. But it's so exciting what Google Hangouts is doing, you know, where you have all the plugins and tools and the extensibility. And so it'd be really cool, you know, maybe in a year or two when you can add enough technology to get yourself into Google Hangouts. And uh, if you need any help with that, Jordan, um, you know, I'd be glad to kick in, maybe lend you some of my staff on the technical (laughs) side. But, you know, but I like what you're doing and everything. It'd be just great to see you move into the next generation.
0: Yeah. And I'd be like, cool. Yeah. Lend me all the staff you can. Yeah,
1: so I'm, <laughs> I'm flying them up there on my plane, and the reason I have a plane is because I know how to do this stuff. <laughs> so yes. So anyway, you know, take that in the spirit. It was intended. Um, we don't use Google Hangouts ourselves. It's very difficult. Nobody stuff.
0: uses Google Hangouts. It's okay.
1: So uh, well, there you go. Now Jordan's getting the uh, the frame back, and you know we're into sort of a match of frame control. It'll be interesting to see you know who comes out um, with the best. But these are the kind of games if you want to talk about game and business game. These are the kind of games you have to get into is reframing what the other guy has as more irrelevant than what you have. And then your status goes up and his goes down and you'll know his goes down when he starts clawing back. Hey, nobody uses Google Hangouts today. Right. Something you would have naturally done, but you felt some pressure from me. Right. And so you wanted to um, you know, for your audience and rightly so, bring your status back up and show that you're really an expert in this stuff and Orrin Klaff doesn't know shit about it, right? Which is actually the case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jordan is the expert. This is, you know, again, these are the ways you introduce tension, right? And, and tension can be healthy.
0: Why do you want tension? Because a lot of, this is what, pe- people are fighting against tension all the time, right? They want everybody to be happy and there's this consensus BS that happens, especially at startups and things like that. Because there's no
1: stakes, right? That's why I say a movie sucked, right? Because the bad guys were bad guys. The good guys were good guys. They were in a chase. Jason Bourne is in the car. You know he's not going to die because he has to be in another three movies. The girl that he just barely met five minutes ago, you know, she's the red shirt guy on Star Trek. She's going to catch a bullet or fly to the car. You know that. The Armenian uh, assassin with the Adidas sweatpants and um, the turtleneck black sweater is going to get right at the moment, get, you know, shoot Jason in the last minute. He's going to catch him, throw him over the bridge and all will be well. It's boring. Those kinds of movies don't create dramatic tension inside of you. The car chases are fun and everything. But when you know what's going to happen, it's boring. And you don't pay attention to things that are boring, right? This is the way our brains are wired. It's, you know, that's how we survived on the African savanna 50,000 years ago, is we paid attention to things that were high stakes, that were threatening, and that we needed to address. Things like a tree, right, which didn't move, and were not threatening, we didn't pay any attention to, okay? So when you introduce tension, right, what you're getting is attention. So you want to do it in a way that's not invasive or creates, you know, drama or makes people not like you. But you want to introduce tension largely in a way that things are changing. That creates tension because people feel unstable and they need to know more because their environment is changing underneath them and you know how. If you don't have tension in a conversation, it's very unlikely that the other person cares.
0: Right. So the tension is important because this, is it, this isn't how you just live your life all the time. Like every time I talk to Orrin Claff, you're not going to be like trying to get status on me. It's only important when you're in negotiation. Is that correct?
1: Well, that's right. Because, you know, I talk to people all the time. and They're like, oh, you're doing it. I'm like, I'm not doing it. It's so exhausting to run frame control, get attention.
0: All, all the time, yeah.
1: All the time. Like I have to think about it and plan for it and live my life intention. tension. I can't do that. But when I want something for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, I can run game and get this stuff done. Right. And so. It's positive tension, right, in many cases. And it's so exciting when you get to the point where you tell someone like, hey, I really like you. I think you like me. You know, we should do something together. I just, I'm not sure I know enough about you to commit. Yeah. In relationships, it works if you're selling a billion dollar bridge, you know, in the Maldives and everywhere in between. And that's a form of tension, but it's healthy, right? It lets the other person know you're not just a rollover and you'll take anybody, that you're choosy, that builds your status, makes them pay attention to you, and it's credible. Actually, I don't like it when somebody comes in and goes, you know, I don't need to know anything about you. If you just write the check, I'm good.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense and is an important distinction because, and I do also find that irritating when people are like, oh, you're doing that thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing anything. This is how things are. We actually are sold out five months in advance. I'm not doing anything to try to persuade you i mean you called me remember you know it's just like a constant reminder but no one would like you if you did that to everyone all the time you'd be just the worst person to be around
1: wait a second nobody likes me
0: well i mean i didn't want to i didn't want to put too fine a point on it but (laughs) they may they may not like me but they buy stuff yeah you um, got a plane so scoreboard right
1: (laughs) uh listen so so i think there's got to be some form of tension that's appropriate for this situation the situations I get into you're sitting across a guy who controls a billion dollar fund, a billionaire, um, yeah, we do get into you know high tense somewhat acrimonious situations there's a lot at stake you're sitting with your boss you know talking about you know the work hours are going to be through the holidays you he wants it to be more, you want it to be less. you're nodding and saying yes to everything he's suggesting and in your own mind stewing and um, not saying the things. That you would like to say because you're afraid of the impact, right? That is a low status, no tension situation, right? In which you're taking no risk, but you're also not getting any gains. No risk, no reward. So use tension lightly, become familiar with it, right? Roll it out there slowly if you want actual use cases. You know, one way to introduce tension, as you know, is just how we talk about here is with time scarcity, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, you can do it on a date, you can do it. With a boss, hey, I, you know we're really loaded up on projects. Glad you invited me into a meeting. If it's okay with you, let's try and get this covered A to Z in twenty minutes so I can get back to my work. That's introducing tension, right? And the boss could say, "Who do you think you are? Telling me how long this meeting is? I tell you how long it is." But then you would really know that you're working for a jerk if if one of my people came in and said, "Hey, Oran, thanks for calling me in. Uh, you know, I want to talk about this problem. We're so loaded up going into the holidays. If it's okay with you, I think we can." what I know about this technical issue, uh, inviting Jordan to a Google hangout, you know, and making that work, I think we could probably cover it A to Z in twenty minutes, if okay to you. Let's set that as a time frame and then I can bounce back to my work, get some of the critical stuff I'm working on done. I think if somebody said that to me, I would say, Whoa, ab- absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Let's let's do it. Right. So there's lots of ways you can do this without getting people raising people's ire.
0: Right, right. Exactly. Because getting people emotionally invested against you because they just don't want to see you succeed because they don't like you, or they don't want to give you a fair price because they don't want to see you get money because they just don't like the way that you are, that cannot work in your favor. I can't see that working in your favor.
1: You want people, of course, to like you so much, be so impressed by you, um, and and you know they like you to the degree you're good at your job. That's why people like people, not because-
0: You're good at racquetball.
1: Funny story about, right, you're good at racquetball.
0: Seriously, though, thank you very much, because this is really interesting. I mean, you're, you're a super, super high-stakes salesman. Give us an idea, just in closing, of, of the type of thing that you do, because I think people are like, wait, this, so he sells copiers that make, that make coffee? I don't get it. What does this Oren Klaff guy do?
1: Yeah, so uh, what would happen is the company you work for decides that it wants to raise $50 million. In essence, it would be selling a piece of itself to get that money so it could open new locations, invent the new technology, or just pay out you guys as the shareholders for the hard work you've done. Right, That company comes to me and they say, Oren, we need $50 million. Right, Go get it. You have 90 days. Come back here with a blue box with a ribbon around it. Put it on my doorstep. When I open it, I want to see a check for $50 million. Right, That's your job. What I do then is figure out how to sell that company to investors, so they get a check for fifty million dollars with the least amount, you know, terms, and you know, sell the company the highest price possible to investors and get the fifty million dollars for that company. So, at any given time, we're you know, I am doing that, I'm looking for three to four hundred million dollars from investors for for companies like the one that you work at.
0: That's great. Okay, cool. I think because I think a lot of people were like, "Wait, I forgot why we should listen to this guy." Aside from that, he's going to make me really uncomfortable if I don't.
1: Yeah, if you don't do this stuff correctly, I'm going to go and find you and pull you out of whatever meeting you're in and take you aside and say, you know, sack up, okay? We're not going to say thank you, please, to buyers, right? Because what we have is valuable. You're an incredibly hardworking, honest you know, person in your field with a huge amount of expertise. You don't need to thank the buyer for coming to a meeting. He should be thanking you, learning everything you know, getting to spend time with you. Sack up, let's do this right. High status, get people's attention, do it quickly, You know, have uh, some, some tension within these meetings so the buyers aren't just saying to you, thank you for coming in. Once you send us information, we'll let you know our decision um, once we've you know, done some more research on your competition.
0: Excellent. The best way to be high status is to be high status, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Oren. Yeah, George, great. Super informative for salesmen and for non-salesmen. And I think... A lot of if you're sitting here listening to this right now and you're like, I'm not sure how this was relevant, think about how this has been done to you and think about how you can reverse engineer it. Because if you haven't been doing this or if this is a little bit over your head, chances are this is something that gets done to you by your own boss or maybe your wife. <laughs> that's for that's for sure. Or at least your dad. <laughs> right? So so thanks so much, Oren. Very well done. All right, Jordan, yeah. Really interesting, super high stakes sales. Salesmen or not, this applies to you. You probably sell your time for money at a corporation and if you're an entrepreneur of some kind, this will really help you crush. People buy you, they don't buy the crap you have in common, they don't care about your racquetball, they buy your presentation. These little nuances of tension, these little nuances of where you can ratchet these things up, this is very, very key at the highest level of sales. This is how the brain works. This is what help makes decisions, to buy or not to buy for that matter. Again, this is game, quote unquote, for salesmen. I hope you guys enjoyed this one with Orrin Claff. Of course, if you did or didn't, I want to hear about it because feedback and guest suggestions. Now, this show's a fanarchy, which means it's run by you. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. If you know someone is a good fit for the show, let us know, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed it, don't forget to thank Oren on Twitter. We're going to have his Twitter linked in the show notes. Bootcamp live program details, bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. Remember, two dots in there. And if you're listening to this, but you're not subscribed to iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and do that now. And of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at the slash iPhone and slash Android. That'll go right to your phone. You don't have to worry about it. You won't miss a thing. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Traum podcast. And go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at the theartofcharmpodcast.com.